Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from Brazil, Ecuador, the United States, and a CU in hell that's also from the United States, except it's from the early 20th century. Starting out with Brazil, there are ongoing events in that country's investigation of the attempted coup that Bolsonaro supporters pulled on the 1st of January this year. Specifically, the Brazilian Federal Police, which is a very normal organization in Brazil if you're unfamiliar with the existence of federal police. Many countries have national police forces, right? The Brazilian Federal Police is investigating some of the companies that were involved in this attempted coup. Specifically, they're looking into the companies that committed to financing it. They're looking at 22 different companies, and their investigation so far, which has only just really started, has seized vehicles, weapons, phones, passports, and several thousand USD in the process of this search. What they're looking for are organizations, Brazilian companies specifically, that provided money to help people get to the Brazilian capital buildings in order to invade them and try to get the military to stage a, a coup to topple the presidency of Lula, the current president of Brazil. These investigations have found so far, and to nobody's surprise, that a lot of these people did in fact donate to Jair Bolsonaro, the former president of Brazil, during his 2022 presidential election campaign. This investigation is really ongoing, and it really just got started. Again, something I've said in this podcast before, and also in writing in Jacobin and elsewhere, this is a big lesson for places like the United States that have let the attempted coup committed by Donald Trump and his supporters largely like we tried to sweep it under the rug at first, right? It took years for people to get investigated, to get charged with sedition, to be put in jail. And we're still in the process of trying to tease out the connections between the people who actually invaded the buildings of the United States and the people who were, you know, in the background, the people who were planning the invasion. And especially the United States is just beginning, like we're just beginning to come to grips with the connections between these groups and Donald Trump himself. No formal accusations have been made in United States courts about this yet. Whereas Brazil is getting on this shit and, you know, it's only been a couple months as opposed to like several years at this point. Brazil is also miles ahead of the United States in investigating its former right-wing presidents in general. Jair Bolsonaro, the former president of Brazil, is currently under investigation for a lot of stuff. I'm going to talk about a couple of them, some of the more fun ones to talk about. Specifically, Jair Bolsonaro is currently under investigation because he's admitted to the federal police of Brazil in being questioned by them. Yes, that's right. He has had to provide testimony to the federal police. He has admitted to them that he was in contact with people who invaded the Capitol building on January 8th. So that's 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 the former president saying like, yeah, yeah, I talked to them. I know those guys. He claims that he didn't have a connection to the invasion itself, though. But, you know, I frankly don't really know if I believe that. It's a little complicated. It's possible that he really didn't want them to do this and thought that it would make him look bad for trying to run again, for trying to make money off of having been the president. Or it's possible that he was deeply involved in this plan and that it was just like a really shitty plan that they really fucked up. The second big thing that Bolsonaro is currently being investigated for, and it's huge news in Brazil, 
I've mentioned it before on this podcast, is that, again, he has been questioned by the federal police of Brazil. That happened recently. Questioned as part of an investigation into his false COVID-19 vaccination records. Specifically, the question is, did Jair Bolsonaro have a vaccination card, a valid vaccination card from Brazil when he entered the United States? And did he have a valid one when he came back to Brazil? When he did those things, he needed to have had a valid vaccination card, valid proof of his vaccination status in order to enter both of those countries. Bolsonaro, for the entirety of the COVID-19 pandemic, has claimed that he doesn't care about COVID. He has claimed that he has never been vaccinated. And all evidence points to the fact that he has had COVID multiple times and has given it to thousands and thousands of people, some of whom have demonstrably died from contact with him. This leaves us with only a couple options. Either Jair Bolsonaro falsely claimed to have been vaccinated in order to leave Brazil for the United States and then come back to Brazil, which is an offense in Brazil. Or he lied about not being vaccinated in order to be able to leave Brazil. Or he got some sort of special dispensation from authorities in the United States because of his having been the president of Brazil, even though he left for the United States as a private citizen, you know, just ahead of the inauguration of his opponent. Moving on to Ecuador, the current president of Ecuador, Guillermo Lasso, a former businessman and the country's first really conservative leader in quite some time, has been in impeachment proceedings for a while. These relate to corruption proceedings and some other criminal investigations that the current president faces. Instead of waiting around to see if the Ecuadorian Congress was going to impeach him, however, he decided to invoke a nuclear option that is embedded in the Constitution of Ecuador that actually a lot of presidential democracies have, which fortunately the United States does not have. Specifically, the president of Ecuador is able to dissolve the Ecuadorian Congress. And that is exactly what Guillermo Lasso did. He did this on Monday. He dissolved the Ecuadorian Congress in order to prevent himself from being impeached. Now, this is a very transparent effort on his part to avoid being impeached. He just did this because he didn't want to face you know, the consequences of his actions. Specifically, what happens now is that there are supposed to be new elections, not just for Congress, but also for the president in 90 days. This means that he has 90 days to maybe consolidate power or try to shuffle that timeline along a little bit or try to build allies within the military. This will be pretty hard for him because there is extremely big popular unrest in Ecuador right now because of his mounting and very obvious political failures. Moving on to the United States, Donald Trump last week gave an interview, or specifically a town hall-style interview, with CNN, something that I mentioned on the podcast, his first appearance on that network for an extremely long time. On that appearance, he predictably said something really unhinged and awful. Specifically, he said that he would pardon, quote, a large portion of the January 6th coup participants. Literally, specifically, this is what former President Donald Trump said, quote, I am inclined to pardon many of them. I can't say for every single one, because a couple of them, they probably got out of control, end quote. One wonders, I have to add, whose control they got out of, presumably Donald Trump's or Rudy Giuliani or one of their handlers or something like that. To continue to quote Trump, he said, quote, he would most likely pardon a large portion of them, 
end quote. So yeah, that's President Trump saying that if you elect him in 2024, he will pardon the people who attempted to stage a coup on his behalf. He also said specifically that he would do this early in his presidency. And that might come as a relief or maybe a surprise to the people who thought that they were going to get a pardon in the first place, right? Trump apparently, and you know, this is the word from a lot of the people who participated in that coup and some of the people who planned it and have been put in jail because of it. A lot of these people apparently expected that they would get a pardon if they participated in it. You know, Trump had over a week left of his presidency, plenty of time to sign all of the presidential pardons that he would have needed to in order to prevent anybody from being prosecuted for their participation in the coup. Trump did not do that, however, either because he wanted to secure their loyalty for the remainder of the next four years while he was waiting to try to run again, or for some other reason that, you know, we're just not sure of yet. Clearly, this is an indication that Donald Trump and his political allies, his whole political apparatus, they are not going to back down from their support of this coup. Donald Trump has been very open about embracing the people who participated in it. And I don't just mean like on a like rhetorical level. I mean, he is literally hugging them on camera. Like Donald Trump is aligning himself with this coup. He thinks that it was a good idea. And I don't know if it's going to be like a political albatross for him. This might just work. People, lots of people liked the coup. And, you know, allying himself with those people, probably okay. Continuing on with Donald Trump's allies, Rudy Giuliani is facing a civil trial for sexual assault. Giuliani is being sued by this former aide for damages including sexual assault, sexual harassment, and wage theft. This person also specifically alleges that Rudy Giuliani forced her to perform sex acts while Giuliani was meeting with Donald Trump, that Giuliani forced her to wear specific clothing or no clothing while working for him. And she also says that Giuliani bragged about him and Donald Trump selling pardons to people for $2 million apiece. Now, that is extremely illegal in the United States, in addition to the illegality of all of the other things that Rudy Giuliani has done. We will only see if this civil case results in criminal action against Giuliani and against Donald Trump, his apparent business associate. And finally, closing out this little segment about allies of Donald Trump and their connections to the extreme right and illegal activity, there is new reporting that an aide of Paul Gosar has connections to neo-Nazis, essentially. Paul Gosar, a doctor of dentistry and GOP representative from Arizona, has long been a link between Donald Trump and the rest of the GOP and the extreme right. He's spoken at the America First PAC, the organization run by Nick Fuentes. He has appeared on lots of podcasts, on lots of news networks. He has doubled down on his physical threats of violence against uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and other leftist members of Congress. We now know that one of his aides, specifically his digital director of nearly two years, a guy named Wade Searle, is a groiper. That means that he is a believer in Nick Fuentes, in Nick Fuentes' particular version of Christian nationalist fascism, white supremacist fascism in the United States. And I don't just mean like, oh yeah, he liked a couple memes, or like, if you talk to him, he'll say these things. I mean like, he watches Nick Fuentes' streams. He donates to them. He is active on forums and Discord servers and things like that. 
This is what his digital directing is, is connecting Paul Gosar to this fascist movement in the United States, possibly the biggest and largest in the United States. Now, this is, this is just like what the Trump campaign platform is. This is just what, this is just what this wing of the Republican Party is. They're just fascists. Paul Gosar has a fascist wing of his campaign staff. That's, that's just what it is now. Going to close out this week like I do every week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week I'm talking about William Joseph Simons, the founder of the second KKK. Simons was born in central Alabama to a local country doctor. He tried to do medical school on his own, but claims that he dropped out for money, although there are no records of his having attended the school that he claims to have gone to, Johns Hopkins. He then served in the U.S.-Spanish War and got an honorable discharge. He did a bunch of work after that in fraternal and mutual aid organizations and also some teaching, which he wasn't very good at. He claimed that the idea for his big world, you know, life dream, the revival of the Ku Klux Klan, came to him in a mystical vision in 1901. He claims that this vision was a set of robed men on horseback teeming across a map of the United States. In 1911, after a car crash laid him up for a couple months, he spent a long while thinking about the rules and procedures and names for clan shit. You know, the, the Grand Wizard, blah de blah and all the stupid names and all the bullshit and stuff like that. Simons essentially just took a lot of stuff that was in fraternal organizations that he had long been involved in in order to remake this clan. And so, on Thanksgiving Day in 1915... He founded a new version of of the Ku Klux Klan. This is the so-called Second Klan. This one is the one that really comes with a lot of the iconography that you remember or imagine about the Klan. You know, the white robes, the burning crosses, all that sort of stuff. Although that stuff doesn't come from the first Klan. The first Ku Klux Klan, which was in the Reconstruction era of the United States, It was more of a, like, guerrilla paramilitary organization of Confederate veterans. The second clan was directly inspired by the film hit Birth of a Nation, a silent movie about about the first clan, which was based on a book. And so a lot of the iconography of the clan comes from that movie. The second clan, unlike the first, was arguably one of the first fascist organizations in the world. It was beaten by Mussolini's first group called the Fascists by only a year. Those were founded in 1914. The second clan was a white supremacist, specifically a Protestant supremacist, anti-Semitic, anti-black, paramilitary organization with political ambitions. It staged massive public protests. It staged massive marches. It had big publicity campaigns. It had major politicians on its side. And it was not just isolated in the U.S. South, like the first Reconstruction clan and also the Civil Rights era third clan, you know, like David Duke and stuff like that. The second clan was all over the United States. It was in the Midwest, it was in the Far West, it was in the South, not quite so much the Northeast. Simons, however, was not a wartime leader, and the second clan came under greater federal scrutiny through the early 1920s as it grew, and it grew a lot. He was ousted by a guy named Hiram Wesley Evans as the actual leader of the clan in 1922. Simons stayed on in the background for a while until he left in 1924 after selling his stake in a bunch of companies related to the Klan. He tried a couple more times to found different white supremacist organizations, including one called the White Band, but nothing really took. 
After his involvement in the Klan, he ended up in a life of obscurity for the next 20 years. He moved back to Alabama and died this week in history, May 18th, 1945. So, William Joseph Simons, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. Check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out and all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at hist of the right. That's H-I-S-T of the right and fascism 15. Thanks very much. And I'll talk to you next week. Thank you.